Hi, this is Pastor Corey. I hope this podcast will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and most importantly, help you draw closer to Jesus. Thank you for listening. I remember years ago, I stood on the streets of Dallas, Texas, and talked and witnessed to my first Muslim. And we both agreed that we were serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We both believed in the keys to the kingdom. And one needs to repent. One should be baptized. And one should receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Can you say amen? But then this is where we differed. I said to him, I said, great, now let's just assume for a moment that one could repent and never sin again. How many have sinned after you've accepted Jesus? It's called miss the mark. Right? Yes. All right, so we know what happens, but I said, let's just assume for a moment we could accept who God is. And, and, and while I'm saying this, turn to Romans 5. And we could accept who God is, and we could repent, and we were willing to follow the tenets of the faith, and we never sinned again. And I said, what, as a Muslim, takes care of all of the sins you committed before you came to God? He said, I don't understand. And I said, well, you claim to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes. Yes. I said, are you still slaughtering lambs and heifers and goats? And he said, well, no. Well, then you understand that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that sin must be covered or washed by the shedding of blood. And you as a Muslim, if you're not shedding blood anymore and lambs and goats, then who is the sacrifice? And he looked at me and said, I don't understand. See, that's the difference in Christianity from every other viewpoint and religion, is that we believe that Jesus Christ is the begotten Son of Jesus Christ, and that He, that God Himself, and that He who believes on Him should be saved, and that God loved the world, that the world should not perish, but that He gave this Son, that if we would believe upon Him, and while my intellectual mind doesn't understand it, Christ is the lamb and the sacrifice, and yet he's also the advocate in heaven, which means if I will accept Christ, I have the best attorney standing before God our Father saying, he's clean. How am I talking about? Romans 5, that's not my message. I won't charge you for that one. But that's what's offensive to people. You know, I don't know if it's where I was raised or that we didn't have social media back then or if times have changed and people have more of a voice. But when I was a kid, even people who didn't go to church seemed to have a reverence for the church. Now, maybe that's some of that's our fault that it's gone, that we're, maybe we're not as nice as we used to be. I don't know. But I do know there seems to be in America more than ever in my lifetime a movement to get you to not come here, a movement not to just ignore the church but to try to silence her. Now, (laughs) if you look through the Bible in every time period where they tried to silence God, it just got louder. So my flesh prays, please don't try to silence us. But my spirit man recognizes that even if it goes all the way down to a small remnant, there will always be a group of people who will declare, thus saith the Lord. And one of the things I want to focus on this morning is You can come to people with technology and theology and doctrine and two plus two is four. And even with students, two plus two doesn't mean a whole lot until that two plus two is your dollars. 
I'll never forget when my brother moved into his first apartment and I went over and visited him and he asked me if I knew how much toilet paper was. <laughs> he had a sign on his commode that said, if you flush it, leave a quarter. <laughs> like it was the first time in his life he recognized, I was, yes, I'm, I'm keenly aware of how much toilet paper is. He said, Craig, it's like throwing money right down the toilet. That is exactly what it is, but if you don't use it, don't sit next to me. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 1. If you're there, shout amen. If you would, stand one more time. I'm going to read just a few verses here. Therefore, being Now, I'm going to resist the temptation. There's like 50 million trillion sermons in these verses. I'm trying to just to get to talk about tribulation. So if I don't get there, you know I wandered off. I had a professor who once said, I chased a rabbit, but she had some meat on her. Which meant he got off track, but he thought it was a good point. We just were ready for the bell to ring. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray in the few moments that we have that you would speak to our spirit man, that we would receive what we need not only for this hour, but in our time of need, and that we would hear, not just words, but what the Spirit is saying. That we not hear the letter of the word, but the Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. In verse 1, it talks about faith. And faith here literally talks about faithfulness or a continuance. It's sometimes translated as belief or trust or confidence or fidelity. So somebody say amen. Amen helps me go quicker. I tell my students, just nod and say, yes, Mr. Shorey. I usually go on to the next point. So there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you can do to convince yourself that you are better than someone else because you are not. And if we really were to dig a little bit, we might could even make the argument that none come unless the Spirit draw, and that we could just a little bit, and I don't have time to preach this, so just say amen or ouch or wow or something. But we could make the, the argument just a little bit, maybe not to its fullest extent, but the faith in your heart didn't even start with you. It started with God when something was said that convicted you. Because some of y'all lived a long time before you ever felt conviction. Pastor Burt Clendenin, who's gone on to his eternal reward, talked about the week he received Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he was a roughneck. I don't know if you know what a roughneck is. But a roughneck is a guy who works on oil rigs. He lived in Beaumont, Texas, Houston area, and he was a manager of the night shift at a roughneck on a rig on oil. And he went, he got saved. A couple days later, he went to work, and a man on his shift didn't listen to him, and he punched him right in the mouth. And he went back to the office, and 
put his hand on his head, and he said, I thought I got Jesus. I thought I got saved. And then, wait a minute. He said, wait a minute. I've punched a many of men on this oil rig, and this is the first time I ever felt bad about it. He said, I did get introduced to Jesus. Never felt bad ever. Oh, forgive me. You know, and isn't that really the difference between being a Christian and not? Like, we're going to punch people figuratively. Please don't punch people. But then fix it. Don't keep punching people. Unless you're a boxer and you tithe here, and then you can do that. That's just a joke. It's not that we're perfect. It's not that we have the answers. And sometimes we tell really great stories with just a twist that often leave out the humanity of how hard the situation was. Sometimes the best thing about the good old days is that they're gone. How many of you ever had a toothache? I mean, I don't wish for the hole in the back of my mouth, but I don't miss the pain after they removed it. And so there are things that we don't wish to come upon us. But when we encounter them, they are meant for a multitude of purpose. Now, it's just faith. It's just believing. Now, faith should produce some actions. Say amen. But it's not the actions that get you saved or get you right with God. It's simply a confession of faith and a walk. Now, I suppose it's possible if 17, 18 plus years ago, or I could have stood here with Jamie and we could have got married and I could have gone back to Maine and she could have stayed in Idaho and we would have continued to be legally married. That is one way to go. <laughs> but it certainly wouldn't have produced three children from long distance. And if it had, there would have been some splaining to do. Because typically when you enter into a covenant, there's a relationship and there's exchange. And when there's relationship and exchange, exchange, there's friction. Nobody ever had friction over at their house? Because if so, I got a couple teenagers and a five-year-old, I will send your way. They fight for sport. They asked me this morning if I had any stories to tell about them, and I said none planned. So that's the first one that just came out. So we're justified by faith that we have peace with God. Peace here means at one or at a quietness. The idea of this particular Greek word of, of, of peace is that there's health to the person or a, well, a sense of wellness to the whole of the individual. In context, it's saying that through faith we're made right to no longer be an enemy or war at God. See, it's one thing to have never heard the voice of God, but you guys are here. So, like, there's nothing more frustrating or painful or agonizing in life to have heard the voice of God and attempt to run from it. Just read the book of Jonah. And if you read the book of Jonah, you realize Jonah was only upset about one thing. He was not upset that God might judge Nineveh. He was upset that God might actually save Nineveh. And I don't have time to preach that sermon. But the point is is there probably are people in your neighborhood with a nicer house than you and bigger cars and a, and a bigger wallet who probably sleep well at night. Because perhaps they've not heard or understood or been moved 
to conviction. I once had a job that the job did not require me to lie, but the job would have been easier if I would tell a few lies. How many have been there? And I found myself without prompting, without training, without anyone asking me to easily just tell a little lie and tell myself it's like baseball. You steal second, no one's going to hell for stealing, base, for stealing second in baseball. But then I started having dreams in the middle of the night that I was in a pit and these snakes were biting me. And I told my wife, I got to get a new job or I got to quit the way I'm playing this game. Now, I'm convinced that not everybody else I was working with was having those kind of dreams. Just nod your head. You're here this morning, so at least once you have heard that Jesus is the way. Somebody say amen. And, and listen, can I say this without you being upset with me? In my flesh, I wish there were many ways. Like in my intellect, I'd like to be able to tell people, just be nice. I'm going to clean it up a little, but I was at a restaurant and somebody said, well, I think the key to all religion is just don't be a jerk to your neighbor. Okay, that's a good start. But if we read the Bible, if I read the Bible correctly, if Jesus is who said he is, if just this verses that we've read, the only way to be at peace with God is through, well, 10 of you believe that. Let me say again, the only way to be at peace with God is through, I wish there was another way sometimes. Because I let a lot of good folk who keep me awake at night, knowing that they not only don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but when given opportunity, mock the thought thereof. All right, I'm still in the introduction. I got to go. You're slowing me down. By faith, we have access into grace. Several years ago, about 17, 18 years ago, I spent an entire year and all I preached on was about grace to the point that we gave a baby, we had a baby and named her Grace. Now, most people confuse grace and mercy. And everything that you believe about grace is true about mercy, but it's not true of grace. Grace has appeared unto all men in the deity and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his grace that displays his mercy so that you don't just get swallowed up in the ground the first time you sin. Somebody say amen. Don't ever as a Christian pray, I just want what I deserve. Because what we deserve is to be on the outside of Noah's Ark looking in. That's what we deserve. So grace is God's manner of conduct that sometimes I fall short in. But by faith was his help. I can walk in the things of God and not only be justified, but be righteous. Romans also says that man's attempt at righteousness is his filthy rags. And I would tell you what those biblical filthy rags are, except my mom's going to listen to this on YouTube. And she's going to tell me that that's not something I should talk about from the pulpit. So I'm just going to tell you they're filthy. And so what God is saying is that your attempt to be holy, your attempt to be kind, your attempt to be right, your attempt to be nice, your attempt to look like a good person and to put on deodorant and to bathe and to primp and proper and say nice things to people in their time is not enough. It must be done through the faith and access of grace in Jesus Christ. That is where we stand. 
Say amen. We rejoice in hope. We'll talk about hope in a minute. Of the glory of God. In verse 2, they use in this portion of Scripture the word glory twice, but it's two different words. This particular word glory, in verse 2, is the idea of the manifested presence of God. His splendor. His glory. The awness of the manifested presence of God. Now, I don't have time to preach this. But if I could just give you for just a moment. Most of the time, well, let me back up just a little bit. We are aware that God is everywhere present. Okay? The Bible says, whether I lay my soul in hell, thou art there. What's going to make hell so terrible? It's not just the flames. It's going to be a presence of a God who refuses to manifest himself in any way through eternity. So anything that the Bible would point to that makes you go, that's a good, there's a God, because I can see the handiwork in the mountain. I can breathe in an air. I can, see, I can see there must be some sort of creator here. Somebody say amen. We'll be absent. Now, as God dwells with man in the way that he does in the New Testament, his his glory, his presence is not always manifest. And while I don't have time to preach this part, if you'll start in the Old Testament and walk your way through, whenever God manifests his presence, it usually leaves people on their face saying, woe is me. I'll just pick one time. We got time for one time? All right. In the New Testament, they got together with Jesus and they said, you know, this would be a good spot. We'll make a temple here. For Moses, and we'll make a he temple here for one of the other five other one other fine prophets, and we'll make a temple here for you. Heaven opened, and God began to mess, manifest Himself to the point that the disciples fell on their face. And when the experience was over, they got up and went, "You know what? One temple just for you, Jesus, will be fine." Can you say Amen? When God shows up, heathenistic people who have never encountered God can look inside your fiery furnace and say, I don't know who the fourth one is, and I don't know who God is, and I don't know who the Son of God is, but the one I'm looking at must be like the Son of God. When God does a thing, let's take Noah and the ark. God gives the instructions to build the ark. Noah builds the ark. God, and perhaps Noah, leave the door open. But once that door is closed, it's closed. I don't know how long you have this morning. I don't know how long we have until our number is up or Jesus calls us home. But I want to tell you this morning, I wouldn't let myself get out of this sanctuary without making sure my heart was right with man and God. Can you say amen? So we have hope. We have, we have this hope that God will continue to manifest his presence until we get the great manifestation in his presence, what we commonly call heaven. Can you say amen? Then it says, and not only. Now, Paul would have done well to just stop in verse 2. We could have had camp meeting. We could have preached. We could have marched around. Anybody ever go to an old church that had a wood stove in the corner? 
get you to do yourself a Jericho march and go home with a burn on your backside from the wood stove. Nobody said I'm not going to that church anymore. They just went, that just reminds me not to go to hell. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, I felt the temptation there to tell stories. I'm moving on. He could have stopped at verse 22, and we could have felt really good about ourselves. But then he said, not only so, but we glory. This word glory here is different. This word glory is the idea that I boast, that I proudly exude, or that I brag, or that I give testimony in tribulation. Now, I'd like to put a parentheses there and say, I would rather boast when he buys me a brand new car. Woo, how many felt that? I'd rather boast when you do all the work, and you hunt, and you shoot the deer, and you bring me all the meat. I'd rather boast in that. I'd rather boast on my mountaintop experiences. But the verse says... We glory in tribulation. And that it's through this glory that the love of God is spread in our hearts. Somebody say, ouch. You don't have to say amen. Every now and then, Pastor Birdie will preach, and I don't want to say amen because it means so be it. So I just say, ouch. Ouch, that hurts. Tribulation, and we'll define it in a moment, is the process that leads to hope that leads to the love of God to the point that someone can come to you and say, okay, you're a Christian. What about verse such and such and such and such and then compared to verse such and such and such and such? And you can say, okay, I know you're going to think this is corny, but what you just did to me is like hand, handing me my wife's high school yearbooks and saying, can you explain every picture? No, I cannot. Can you explain her quote? As Didn't say anything here. She wanted to be married. Or that this contradicts itself. No, I, I confess. I can't explain it all. But I guess I'm quoting my dad a lot this morning. But as my dad used to say, some things are just better felt than tell. You might be able to change my mind in some doctoral views. You might be able to convince me this thing or that thing and some finer points of the faith. But people have come way too late to tell me that there is no God. They've come way too late in my experience to tell me that it's not real. I'm even bold enough to say it like this. My daughter came to me, the five-year-old, and she had a little burn on her hand. It's been months ago. And she said, Daddy, I want a Band-Aid. And I said, honey, Band-Aids band stop blood. Band-Aids don't do anything for burns. She said, what do you mean? I don't do anything. Like, they don't, they don't stop it from burning. They don't heal it. It doesn't make anybody feel better. She put her hand on her hip. She goes, Daddy, I don't know what Band-Aids are supposed to do. But they make me feel better. (laughs) 
How many want to know she got a Band-Aid? In fact, if I take that story to the next invention, she felt so good that her nose was running, and next time she came and asked for a Band-Aid, I didn't question. I just tore it open. Next thing I knew, she's walking around the house with a Band-Aid to her nose so it'll stop running and she don't have to blow it. And so while I believe there is a God, and while I believe Jesus is the only way to get there, I'm still okay with saying, if there is no God, if it is true that there is no God, and my soul should only sleep for eternity, for me and my house, and for what I have experienced, and what I know, the Band-Aid is good for me. Now, in that analogy, he's not a Band-Aid. He's the whole cure. He's more like a prescribed antibiotic. But you get the point. Now, Paul would differ. Paul would say, listen, this thing, look, I'm so confident this thing is true that if it ain't true, we are the most of all men miserable. Because our affections should be set on things unseen. Say amen, that'll help me go. We're supposed to boast in tribulation, and tribulation is supposed to do work. Give me the one that defines tribulation. Let me go quick. Well, my idea of quick. And here's where I get the title of the sermon. Tribulation is pressure or force. Now, the word force I put there. I'm confident that word force, that I may have bent the word a little bit, but I didn't break it. And I'll show you what I mean by that. It literally means an internal pressure that causes someone to feel confined. How many of you ever watched boxing? How many of you ever listened in on a corner of the last round of the losing fighter? When you're sitting on a stool and you fought however many rounds, and your trainer says, if you don't knock him out, you're going to lose. I would imagine that that might be a moment of tribulation, of eternal pressure. Now, this particular word, the tribulation doesn't have to be true. It's not external. There are words in the New Testament that talk about things that happen to you externally. If my memory is correct, most of 1 Peter, when it talks about tribulation, is when things are done to you. This is talking about eternal pressure. I mean, internal pressure. Oh, thank God there's no eternal pressure. Internal pressure. Somebody say amen. So let me give you a couple scenarios that will help you out understand this just a little bit. When I was a kid, people used to say, oh, well, it's not real love. It's puppy love. I mean, I've heard that expression. Now, I'm going to say it like this on purpose, right? But if you is a puppy, puppy love is real to you. Right? All right, so, so let me get you a little further when you can drive. And most of you, I know you do. I know you do because you have license in Idaho. Now, what I'm about to say is meant as a joke, but I'm still going to say it. But no matter how bad we drive, at least we're better than Washingtonians. <laughs> Maybe that was more tongue-in-cheek than joke. 
but I thought it would ring well in these walls. No matter how bad we drive, we're a little better than Washingtonians, okay? That being said, a speed limit in Idaho is a suggestion. I'm talking about. And like everybody, almost everybody believes of what they call the four to five mile mercy rule. He ain't going to pull me over. I'm just going five miles over. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Like how far do you want to take mercy? Might depend on his mood. Might depend on your mood. Right? How many of you ever been in a zone? It's like 65. You're going 69. And up from around one of these mountain curves comes the siren of a police car. And you look down at your speedometer, and you don't think or say anything holy. Like, you don't think, whoo, I'm about to get some tribulation. God about to make himself real up in this place. No, you think words you should not say. Or at the least, you send up a prayer. Oh, God, help me. Now, no one prays when they get in the, guard, in the car. God, help me to obey all the traffic laws because they are there for my protection. Years ago, like I still had hair and it was all black. We preached a sermon in, in, uh, in Morris Hill, Blaine, Maine. But the Chinese buffet was in Holton. And it closed it too. And so me and the Holy Ghost and my wife, we put it to it. Now, I didn't think I was going that fast. And I didn't think I was going that bad. Now, mind you, I'd also changed. Come on. Like, you're church folk. You know how to eat, right? I also changed into my eating pants. <laughs> which at the time was gray sweatpants that didn't look like anybody who would preach would wear. And all I had that mind on is, I hope they still have those chicken wings. Right? 18-wheeler was in my way. I got about halfway. Lights put me over. Where are you going? I looked at him and said, all right, you might not believe this. But we just preached in Blaine, Maine, and I'm trying to get to the buffet before it closes. And I don't know what he said was true or not. He said, but I wasn't getting calls. You've been driving reckless. Well, officer, ever been hungry? <laughs> he said, what did you say you were doing in Blaine, Maine? I said, I was, I was preaching, sir. I was, I was preaching. Do you know Pastor Mark Carter? Because pretty much everybody knows Mark Carter. He's been there forever and a day. When my dad was alive, he called, he called him bishop. He was there so long. And he looked me up and down. He went, you mean one of the youth services? Which today I would have said, yeah. In fact, uh, Mike called me, called me kid or son or something this morning, and it made me feel good. That's how old I am. You know when you're young because they call you kid and you don't like it. But you start getting a little older when they call you kid and go, thanks. So he just looked at me and went, one of these, I said, no. Now, that was real. I really was getting pulled over, and I really did get a ticket. And then I waited for him to get away, and I got to the buffet as soon as I could. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's what we did. But there are times that you're going four or five miles, even six miles over the speed limit. A cop car comes behind you. Your heart drops down in your socks. 
Somebody in the car, wife, a child, a friend says, I told you. <laughs> right? Somebody says that. And y'all laughing, you're the tellers. That's right. That's like every classroom where you got talkers and shushers. And sometimes shushers shush when they shouldn't be shushing, and talkers talk when they should. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but sometimes you get that feeling. The feeling's real, the pressure is eternal. And you're from Idaho, so I can't speak for the female folk, but I think it's probably true for you, too, because I'm married to a valued girl, and, and they're tough. So, I, so it's probably true for you, too. But even though you're never going to do it, if you were born in Idaho and you have a license, when the light goes on, you have a half a second thought where you go, can I? Can I? Uh, I saw the Dukes of Hazard. It's possible. Right? Now, then you get back in line because you know it's not worth it for a speeding ticket. Like, Ben, a lot of fools go to jail for several days over, you know, a $50 fine. Okay, so that's foolishness. But you do have that thought in the back of your mind. I just might know those roads better than him. Just for a split second. And then just about the time you're thinking of all the things that you're going to say when he pulls you over, because they inevitably always ask you the question, do you know why I pulled you over? And I have learned over the years because you need Jesus is not the right answer. Even if it's true, it's not the right answer. But sometimes your heart pumps and it goes in your socks and you feel this under pressure and the cop goes right around you because he's got bigger fish to fry than you. And so I would suggest to you that this type of tribulation, that 90% of it is within the confines of your mind and your spirit and really has nothing to do with what's going on on the outside. Say amen, because I'm like 30 minutes in and only third way in. I thought I cut out the hard part. All right, go to part number two. As he's turning there, simply put, tribulation is the internal pressure or force that you allow to happen to you that is often useless and we refer to as hard times. The work of tribulation. I don't have time to go through all these. I guess I have time. I'm not going to take it. But let me run through this just a little quick. Do you know, how many of you came in a car today with tires? You rode in here on pressure. No matter how big your car was today, Unless you towed it in and you rode on someone else's pressure. Oh, I could preach an hour on someone else's pressure. Don't worry, I'm not going to. I could feel the fear. I could feel the internal pressure building inside you. You rode in on pressure. And if you go out and look, not every car has the same size tire with the same amount of pressure. Because not every vehicle is intended to do the same job. So the pressure that you come in contact with is directly related to what plans there are to happen in your life. I don't have time to talk about it. I don't. So let me just go, like, to the end of this. Do you know that your weatherman, 90% of his predictions on what the weather is going to be like is based on pressure? You can almost dictate the kind of day you're going to have by how much internal pressure you allow to rise in you. 
I don't recall it in my 20s, but now as I'm starting to kiss 50, I can feel as my internal pressure grows, so does my blood pressure. <laughs> A couple years ago, I asked the doc, what's this little squiggly thing in my see in my eye? Like, is I have cataracts? Is just, son, you got you got perfect 2020. Great. What's these little floaty things? Pressure. I could have stayed home for that. But he was telling me my internal pressure is raising my blood pressure and it's causing these little squiggly things. And here's all the things you can do to release the pressure. Let me give you one more. How many know what you can do with a balloon that's empty? Nothing. Really, all you can do, oh, goodness, I wish I had time. All you can do with a balloon that is filled with nothing is play with it until your hands are smelly or you die. <laughs> now, let me tell you what I mean by that, and I'm not going to finish the sermon today. I'm just going to cut it off and come back to it. I don't know. Come over to my house. I'll preach you the rest. This is true. 99.9% .9 of the time, if you have one of those good old-fashioned latex empty balloons and it gets in your throat, one of two things is going to happen before the paramedics ever get there. There's a coating from your saliva that'll go over that balloon in your throat, and you won't be able to Heimlich it out. You won't be able to cough it out. It'll be stuck there until somebody shows up with a tool and pulls it out. And by chances by then, unless you are an Olympic swimmer who can hold their breath at long periods, by the time they get there, you are going to be in glory unless someone pokes a hole in your trachea. Now, if you take that same balloon and you put helium in it, it'll float to the ceiling. If you blow carbon dioxide in it, it'll lay on the ground. If you put water in it, you can make mama really mad. The difference in that balloon is not whether it gets pressure, because the balloon was created for pressure. I told you I can't finish. I'm going to quit. So the idea is not whether you're going to get pressure. The idea is what are you going to do with it, and what pressure are you going to allow in that floats you, and promotes you, or lowers you, and drags you, or turns you into a weapon. Just say amen. Stand but listen. This will help me close. Stand for just a moment. I wanted to walk you through the stories in the New Testament of tribulation, but I'm just going to pick one for just a half a second, and that is very, a half a second is evangelistically, but you're standing, so I know I'll be done in at least three minutes. If you look at Paul and Silas in prison, three things happen in their tribulation. One, they just decide we got nothing better to do than praise the Lord. Listen, with all the theology, with all the this and that and all the complicated things, there's nothing more pure than a person who just lifts their voice, lifts their hands, and says, God, 
I'm going to love you today. Like that's, that, that's why it's too late to tell me all the reasons that this is not true. And while it breaks my heart, I'm, I'm okay if other people want to reject it after they've heard that. That's between them. But for me, I've had a couple midnight that were probably self-induced. That when I finally came to myself and smartened up and just raised my hands. Number two, in the midst of your tribulation, if you will boast and you will praise, because your boast is actually in your praise. That was a great second part of this message I had. But your boast is really in your praise. So not only when you praise God, it says, if you draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to you. That he inhabits the praises of his people. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying just a song. What's the difference between a ditty and worship? The condition of the heart. That's the only difference between a ditty and worship, a song. And songs are nice. Like I listen to Lauren Hill sing How Great Thou I mean, Lauren uh, Daigle sing How Great Thou Are. And I want to weep. But I'm also aware that at least 90% of what I'm hearing is her talent. And for that... Moment to be real, it needs to bypass and make sure that it's my heart that is saying, how great. Now, talent can help people realize the heart. Just say amen, because I'm not preaching that. But then next, not only does he invade the situation, if you look in nearly every instance in the Bible where people are praising the Lord, it draws other people. Praise is evangelistic. People come and say, look, look, I don't know much about this God thing, but I know it's got to be better than these drugs. I don't know. In fact, can I go further? I don't know much about this God thing, but my fancy house, my big job, and my fat wallet, and my wonderful life isn't enough. We're here for drug addicts, but it ain't just good for drug addicts. Last, and we're going to pray, and you're only getting about 33% of this sermon. But last, praise will silence the enemy. Now, some folk will say, I just feel really, really abused of the devil today. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I've ever been important enough to actually get the attention of the devil. And when I was a kid, there was all kinds of arguments about binding and loosing. Some of you old enough to remember that. All I know is this. The Bible says, if you will resist him, he will flee. And I'm confident that if I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and I will enter his courts with praise, if nothing else, my mind will clear and my spirit will open. And if you ever taken a balloon and let the air out, it often makes a flappy sound. <laughs> or a pop when there's water in it. Oh, I could, this, this should be like a 10-week series. Thank you for not saying amen. But the point is, your boast is in the experience of your internal pressure where you know that you turn to praise to God, and that internal pressure not only changes you, but it changes the world around you.